have some times of study. And finding the sure cure for backsliding, what would really keep an individual, as well as a church, from backsliding, from going back from the very presence of the Lord. We've been dealing mostly in 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, and we read that full chapter, and I'm in hopes maybe that you had thought enough about it to go ahead and read some more about it and read some more about it today, but if you didn't, then you'll not get much out of what I say anyway, so uh, we'll just leave that up to you, but we are going to, or are dealing from the 11th verse down to the 23rd verse, and if all of these things are kept in our lives and kept in our church, there's no danger of us growing cold. We dealt with the first two verses, but I want to reveal all those that we'll be dealing with. It says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and to be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient unto all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Now these seem to be hard things already, don't they? But yet they're, they're biblical, and it tells us that if we are get ourselves in a position where we can do this, there's no danger of us ever growing cold in the spirit or ever backsliding. Pray without ceasing in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's if saying that if these things are attached to our lives, then the God of peace will sanctify us, set us apart in our whole body and the spirit and our soul, and we are preserved through that, blameless, to the coming of the Lord. Our first, 11, the 11th verse, we just go over that briefly, said comfort one another, that's an admonition of God to the church and to people. We are to comfort one another and encourage one another. And then the body of Christ and how the body of Christ should feel toward one another. Uh, if our senses are dulled and one, body su one member of the body suffer, then we're not going to feel it, and that's not the way it ought to be. I mean, if our body is functioning as it should be, our physical body functions as it should be, we're going to feel pain in every portion of our body. And so to walk perfect before the Lord and be the type of a body as God wants we're going to feel the pain and the agonies of one another, and uh, we're simply going to comfort and encourage one another. And then verse 12 and 13 says, Know them that labor among you. In other words, find out who they are, what they are, what they believe, how their life is. Is their life lived according to the gospel? Do they live what they preach? And are they as they ought to be? In other words, he leaves it to the saints of God to know those that labor among them to be sure that they understand who is laboring among them and for what reason they're laboring among them 
And then he says, knowing them, and we said before, knowing them, or to esteem them highly for their works sake. Not necessarily for themselves. No man should be esteemed more highly than another, but for their works sake, for their office, for what they hold. And uh, I think a good thing on that in the natural was when we was entered into the courtroom, uh, the judge asked some of the individuals that walked in there to remove their hats. Well, hey, we don't know that judge. We don't know what he is or what he was. We don't know much about him. But we do know that he held the high office. And so all he was asking is for us to respect the office. That's what God is asking here. Esteem them highly. Not just esteem them, but that's those that labor among you, the ministry. Esteem them highly for their work's sake. And then he says, and be at peace among yourselves. That is one of the admonishments of the church. And I said before, a good sermon uh, material would be for local churches would be cannibal Christians. Because of Galatians 5 and 15 says, But if you devour, bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And if church people bite and devour one another, then they're spiritual cannibals and always destroying instead of building up the church. And Paul's admonition was to be at peace among yourselves. And we begin this evening with verse 14. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient unto all men. He, that word exhort, of course, is beseech, that is to urge, that is to admonish. And he's talking to brethren. That's the church that he's talking to. And he says, warn them that are unruly. That's number one. Comfort the feeble-minded. Now that word is a misnomer there. It should be translated faint-hearted. Comfort the faint-hearted. That comes from the Greek word, two words, oligus and suki. That's small soul. In other words, those with tendencies of depression or oppression are those with tendencies to be despondent. Some people are stronger than others when it comes to writing themselves under the Spirit of God. And some just have tendencies of depression that runs with them, that's in their physical makeup. And uh, the Bible tells us here to comfort them that are faint-hearted, to be of comfort to them. Don't be dismayed sometimes at them. Don't get aggravated at them, but give them some comfort in times and areas when they really need it. And then it says support the weak. The strange thing about that was, in that word, it simply means weak in body, not necessarily weak in spirit, not in this area. Talking about support those that are weak in body, or individuals who has uh, afflictions in their body, afflictions that they seem to not be able to uh, get rid of, things that stay with them all the time, and for what reason we never understand. Seems as if. If we wish to pray, uh, these things ought to disappear. But nevertheless, we still have individuals that have bodily weaknesses, have bodily afflictions. Sicknesses maybe are just plain afflictions where they simply do not operate in the norm. And it says for us as the body of Christ to support these individuals, to be conscious of the agonies that they undergo that's in the flesh that they strive and do their best to uh, ward off, and yet it's still there. And uh, uh, to help them and support them 
uh, in their afflictions and in their bodily weaknesses. Other than getting uh, uh, aggravated more or less at them and say if you believe God why you would be healed and all of these things. We don't understand these things. But evidently the Apostle Paul in writing to Thessalonians knew that there was always going to be individuals that were weak in body as well as those that were weak in spirit. And so he leaves with us admonitions that we are supposed to hold up to as a church and also as individuals. And then it says, be patient toward all men. Now we want to deal with that first one, number one. Church discipline is almost a thing of the past. You hardly see that any place. And that's probably good reasons because people do not want discipline. But I was reading in church history not too long ago that old-time Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and later the Pentecostals in the early stages believed in church discipline. And on Saturday night before they had their meeting on Sunday, they held a business meeting and dealt with the members who were living in such a manner as to bring reproach upon the name of Christ and the church. I'd like to ask you a question. How far would that go in most local assemblies? When you ask individuals and, uh, and uh, uh, the elders were to uh, deal with these individuals in the light of how they were living and how they lived during the week. Not what they possessed on Sunday or on Wednesday nights, but you're dealing with them on how they lived during the week, the way they brought reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ and was bringing reproach upon the church. And they dealt with them. Paul says, for the sake of peace in the church, the unruly must not be left unreproved. And so often that is the case, and it only brings a, a false and a cowardly peace when we allow disorder to continue in the church unchecked and unreproved. And it's imperative, saints, in every community and in every school and in every home and in every nation or in every church to have the right kind of discipline in order to succeed. A home cannot be the way it ought to be. A community cannot be what it ought to be. A school cannot be as it ought to be, and we see that every day uh, in the schools because there's no discipline there. So they cannot be a success as far as doing what they are supposed to be doing. The school is supposed to be turning out individuals that have respect for their forefathers and have respect for their uh, neighbors and friends and have respect for property and all of this and give them education. They're failing in all of that simply because there's no discipline there. You find a community where there is no discipline there. You find a community that has failed. It, its uh, residents are not safe. And also you find that in our nation. A nation, our nation, has gone corrupt as far as succeeding in being what it's supposed to be and doing what it's supposed to do. And that comes right down home to a church. If a church is to be successful, it has to be disciplined. Members have to be disciplined by the Word of God. The unregenerate and rebellious and the contentious, if left alone, will continue to evolve downward until uh, death claims them and they spend eternity in hell. It's for the sake of a soul that these things are necessary in life. Christians must be led by the Holy Ghost. How many of you believe that? We have to be led by the Holy Ghost. 
How many of you know usually we're not? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Come on now, saints. You held your hand up real good while ago. But you know that we're not. But yet, we have to be led by the Holy Ghost. And also, Christians have to be admonished and disciplined by men appointed of God, them too filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, any church that is winning souls and that is spreading the gospel was going to be attacked by the devil from without and from within. Usually it is from within that brings destruction. Most churches are able to withstand the onslaughts from without because we come together in those areas, but it's from within uh, that we uh, have our problems. And there is going to be disorderly conduct among even Christians unless they are warned, rebuked, and disciplined. You see, you're back again with discipline in the church. We have a greater study on that, and I'm not going to waste a lot of time tonight on that, but it's a Bible fact. That individuals have to have this. The Apostle Paul did it continuously in writing of his letters. Peter did it and all the others did it. In fact, the business is discipline was initiated as when the church come into existence. And it never should have went out. God helped the church to have changed its ways of discipline individual membership. All you have to do is read the scriptures. You're going to find that human nature, regardless of whether how, how they're saved and how sanctified they are, how consecrated they are, how dedicated they are, must be uh, have their body buffeted and crucified daily. All right? And the old nature has to be policed by the individual. You have to police and also by spiritual leaders. There are times when we simply will not police our own life. In fact, we get so involved in, in it, thinking of fact in, in instances that we are right in everything, that the Word of God has to come from spiritual leaders. And if we are the way we ought to be, wanting to find out what keeps us from being what we ought to be, we will be willing to let the Word of God move within our spirit and move within our heart and do what it's supposed to do in our life. You have spiritual leaders for that one reason. If God was going to deal with you directly at all times, and if he could deal with you directly at all times, there would be no reason for spiritual leaders. But God was fully aware that there are times we would be blind to our own mistakes, blind to our own sinful habits, blind to our own rebellious spirit, blind to our own contentiousness and all of that. And what he wanted the church to understand is that the... Uh, spiritual leaders was going to be there to remind us of that. Now, he was pretty sure that we wasn't going to call names out, but Paul was expecting individuals to be able to want to live the best life they can, to want to be the best spiritual light that they could, and so he was planning these things in their spirit. If we can get that in our spirit and recognize that there would never be a time when we would grow cold or backslide because we would be subject to disciplining our own body and then when it needed to go beyond that, we would be subject to leadership that they, through the Word of God, might discipline our lives also and pull from us and place within us the desire of being a full, mature Christian. 
Do we want to be above backsliding? That's a question we'll have to answer ourselves. And uh, we have uh, spent last Wednesday night telling people that little by little, individuals backslide. Little by little, they find themselves not needing God as bad as they one time needed Him, not needing the house of God as bad as one time needed Him. Let me tell you something, anything that comes between you and God and the house of God is wrong. Amen, Brother Hoshfall. It is wrong. That's discipline. That's letting you know whether you realize it or not, and we can make all types of excuses to why we should be doing this and why we are doing this. But the necessary thing in every individual life to keep it steady on course is the Word of God. And if we're not where the Word of God is spoken in our midst and challenged by it, of course we're going to walk awry from God. We're going to walk away from God. You see, Paul reminded the Thessalonians how he had exhorted them and comforted them. He had acted toward them as a father, toward his own children, and he uh, not only exhorted them and disciplined them, but he tried his best to console them. There have to be times when parents have to discipline children. Children don't like it, but it is for their benefit and for their good, and parents that are good parents know this. Why we can't understand that there comes time when parents in the spiritual realm have to simply discipline their children is hard for me to understand because we are children and we do need some discipline. But then there needs to come times when individuals need to be consoled. You see, his instruction to support the weak had already been practiced by Paul. You can read that and you put that down in Acts the 20th chapter, 35th verse, also in Ephesians 4, 4 and 28. And there'll be a lot more than that. You see, the weak and the faint-hearted are to be comforted and supported. That is the duty, not only of the ministry, but of the entire congregation. It is up to us to discern and to know those that are spiritually faint-hearted in their life and those whose bodies have physical ailments there that they need some help once in a while from individuals to help them understand if they can at all why this affliction cannot be dealt with by the Lord. And individuals sometimes, a lot of them are home tonight simply because the body could not understand and they could not understand their need for the body of Christ. Many of us feel like we get to be super saints. God blesses us one time and He doesn't bless us because we're good. He blesses us because He wants us to know He loves us and He's trying His best to reach us and He don't want us to backslide and go cold in Him. He wants us to stay hot in the Spirit of the Lord. And Paul's instructions there was to comfort those individuals and support them. They need a stimulant. How many of you know that? They need a stimulant. There's times when somebody just needs somebody to stir them up a little bit and to build them up and to push them on and say, it's all right. You don't understand it. I don't understand it. But it's there. And you need to get a hold of God. You need to be in the house of God. You need to overlook these things. You need to get into the Word of God. You may not understand it, but push them on, stir them up, urge them to go on for the Lord in spite of their bodily ailments. 
And friend, if we can do that and get those individuals to do that, there's not a chance in the world that the powers of hell is going to get a hold of them. They're going to be stimulated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are going to be responsible to do that. But could I ask you a question, and you don't have to answer it, how many of us do that? How many of us are aware that there's individuals there uh, that are, are not as, uh, uh, as strong as we are in areas? And their body suffers in areas that our body doesn't suffer? How many of us are aware uh, that these individuals are individuals that need something? They need a little bit of extra something. They need somebody uh, just to be reminded that they are weak individuals in body, that they are a small soul, or they are prone to more discouragement than the average individual is. Uh, more depression sometimes comes over their spirit and comes over their soul than maybe bothers you at all. Individuals that are easily turned aside sometimes and easily disappointed and easily discouraged. And these individuals should be felt and sensed by the entire body of Christ. It is not up to the ministry only. We are a body. We must sense the feelings of one another. And if we're where we ought to be, saints, let's get there. We're going to sense the need of individuals. And we're going to do something about it. Amen. There's people that just need some simple uh, stimulus. Something that would stir them up. And the unruly and the disorderly have to be rebuked. You see, that has to happen. They're too self-confident, overproud, and they need to be held in check. Now, verse 14 closes like this. Be, faith, be patient toward all men. I want you to notice carefully, this is a command. It's not something you do if you want to. This is a command. In fact, all of these are. That's what keeps you from backsliding. That's what keeps you uh, in the heat of the Lord. And the subject of the sentence is you. Every last one of you. Notice what it says. Be patient toward all men. Now let's dwell on that just a little bit. A Christian needs to show patience to all men, whether they are weak or whether they're strong. Or whether they try us with their presumptuous attitude or whether they're just timid individuals. Whether they're just aggressive and, uh, or whether they're faint-hearted and have some incapabilities. We still have to be patient with them. And to be patient and long-suffering is one of the special marks of a real Christian in the grace of God. Now 1 Corinthians 3.14 or 3.13.4 says, Love suffereth long. You see, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit along with patience. And that's something that the church of God needs greatly and it'll suffer long with individuals. You have individuals that are presumptuous in their attitudes. Suffer with them. You have some that are timid in their approach and hardly want to approach God or anybody else. And there's individuals that's rude. Some of them are just simply feeble-minded uh, or they're faint-hearted and... They have some incapabilities. This is, these all exist in the body of Christ. How many of you know that? These all exist. These things that I've mentioned and others exist in the body of Christ. In every local church, let's bring it back down again to the local church. Every local church 
has these type of things in their midst. Our problem has been and is, is that we don't know how to recognize it. And once we recognize it, we don't know how to handle it. That's the failure of the body of Christ. That's uh, causing us to be insensitive or numb to every feeling of the entire congregation. Now, I'm not talking about model, model cuddling and molly cuddling, and I'm not talking about babying, but I'm talking about just being concerned enough and recognize when somebody has almost gone as far as they can go in the spirit and needs somebody to place a hand on their shoulder or grab them by the hand and say, I'm with you, throw all of these other things aside and believe in God. All things is going to work out for you and stimulate them with your growth and cause them to go on for God. It's the easiest thing in the world to just piss somebody out and forget about them when there's been hurts or disagreements or something that hasn't went wrong right in life is just simply toss them out and say, well, they never was a Christian to start with. Well, that's not biblical, see? And that's what uh, Paul is trying to tell the Thessalonians. That's what he's trying to tell us is to be patient and long-suffering because this is an act of grace. And after all, we are children of grace. Amen. Was not for the grace of God, none of us would be here. And now 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Man, that's rough. How many of you know that? That's rough. Is that not scripture? Did I not read it right? And this is one of the things that if it's in a church, a church will build itself up and never, never at any time languish in the pits of despair. And also as far as a man or woman, boy or girl is concerned, if these things can be in our life, we will never, never, never have to worry about backsliding. Because these things keep us where they ought to ought where we ought to be. Paul simply says that no Christian, none of us, is to render unto anybody evil for evil. Somebody does you dirt, get back at him. I mean, hey, work on him. Not Bible, but isn't that human nature and is that usually the path that most of us follow? Get even with him. Back, don't get mad, just get even. All right? But yet there's an admonishment here strong, and it is a command. And Paul simply says that no Christian, anybody that names the name of Christ, is surrendered to anyone evil for evil. And it takes grace. To return good for evil. But then don't forget again, we're saved by grace. And if we're saved by grace, some of that grace ought to be within us. And it seems like sometimes when you read these, Paul is asking from the church of Thessalonica things that they cannot accomplish. It also seems like the same thing to us tonight. Things kind of like a fairy tale. This was way back then. God, you know the world we're living in today. There's no possible way we can do these things. Well, 
We have to do it. I mean, the grace that saves us also teaches us. How many of you know that grace teaches? Teaches us to live righteously, soberly, and godly where? In this present world. Right here, right now, right today. That's the same grace that saves us. Now we take the grace that saved us because it don't cost us anything. Christ paid it all. But that same grace becomes a teacher now. It is not just a Savior. It does not just bring us salvation. But that same grace becomes a teacher now. And it teaches us that we ought to live righteously. That's in the right standing with God. And godly and soberly realizing what's going on in our world, in this present world. Notice. Christians in the time of the Thessalonians, and Paul wrote this letter, was receiving a lot of evil from their enemies. You have to understand why Paul was writing this to them. You have to understand where they were at and what they were undergoing at the time Paul penned these letters to them, with fully expectations for them to be obedient to them. Now, they were being tempted and tried and persecuted. They were wronged many times by their own loved ones, many times by their own friends, many times by their own neighbors. And yet Paul, seeing that and knowing that, felt the need to admonish them to be very careful in that they would not return evil for evil. It's hard under persecution not to want to get back. And Paul was saying that now. I know you're being persecuted. I know that you're being mocked. I know you're being laughed at. I know you're being turned aside even by friends and loved ones and neighbors. But don't return evil for evil. That is the mark of a sturdy, stalwart Christian. And it takes the Holy Ghost of God to see that we are obedient to those verses. Not only to dwell in here, but to be a leader of us. If we're not subject to leadership of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to mean anything at all in times like this. Because the Holy Spirit was placed in there to lead and guide us. And if we don't allow it to do that, it's not going to force us to do it. But it's going to ask us to do it. And Paul felt that above all things, they needed to be warned to follow that which is good. And notice what he said, not only in the church, but to all men. But to all men. That's that unruly sinner out there. That's that nasty individual that gets his jollies uh, from mocking you and laughing about who you are and what you are. That's that individual that takes fun at persecuting you. And putting you down. And acting like you never had anything in your whole life. Unchristianizing you among whoever else. It was happening then. Paul wrote the letter. And he said, now, that's not just to your uh, body that you're, we're talking about. Not just to the many-membered body that, that, that you just return good for evil. But that's to all me. I take that word all to mean what it says. And I'm not sure what it means women or not. Maybe we don't have to to women. That's all men. That's to all individuals. 
And we can bring reproach, saints. We can bring reproach on the church. We can bring reproach upon the name of Jesus. We can bring reproach upon our lives and discredit our own selves when we render evil for evil. When we try to get evil. When somebody does evil to us, then we in turn do evil to them. It, it discredits our own individual experience. You see, God will deal with these individuals and He'll do it a lot better than we can. And He'll do it while we keep our own lives above board. You see, the only way that you can meet some of the evil of individuals is to get down on the same level they are, which makes you no better than they are. So what is Paul trying to say? Stay where you are, Christian. Be what you are, child of God. Recognize if they're telling the truth, do your best uh, to rectify that thing. If they're not telling the truth, get a hold of God and by yourself and recognize that you belong to God and not to them. And be what you are when you are and where you are. And just stand for the things in which God has asked us to stand for. It's commendable when we do this. It honors God when we do this. And it brings honor to the church, a local church that we're attending, when we render good for evil. In other words, somebody needs something, doesn't make any difference what they have said or done, we're not to do anything against them. In Romans 12, 19, 21, Paul reminds us to avenge not ourselves. That vengeance is his. He tells us to be not overcome of evil. Don't let evil overcome you. Don't let those things that are being said overcome you. But overcome evil with good. In other words, the right actions, the right way, and the right modes. Now, I know I'm telling you something hard, but I didn't tell you this. Paul told the Thessalonians this, and he said, Now, if you want to be preserved until the coming of the Lord, you will do these things and get them in your life, and you won't have to worry about whether you're right or wrong when Jesus comes. Amen. It's got a whole Bible full of that, but these scriptures from the 11th to the 23rd verse lets us know where we stand in God and we, we can do these things, we won't have to worry. We don't have to worry about what people think. But overcome evil with good. In other words, heap coals of fire, I think one writer says, if necessary, upon them by doing good to them. You want to make somebody mad, and it usually does. It's when they really worked you over from stem to stern and you knew return some good to them. They'll either make them mad or it'll condemn them. Whatever it is. But whatever it is, you're keeping yourself holy with God. The statement in this scripture now, ever follow which, that which is good, means follow not by imitation like in chapters 1 and 6 and 2 and 14, but by the way of aim and purpose. Let your aim and purpose be good. What is your aim and purpose? Which direction are you going? And don't let anything deter you from that. You see, the good spoken here is that which benefits our fellow man. It's not benefiting us. In fact, it, it hurts for us to do this. That's 
but it is benefiting our fellow man and that gives us an outward look church is filled with inward looks what about me what about how I feel what about my life what about uh, what I think doesn't really matter the church ought to have an outward look as to what we can show to a world that needs a light and needs the salt of the gospel and the only way they can find that is through you we're all placed here for a reason and most of the time we don't come to church just to benefit ourselves most of the time that's about all it benefits if it benefits us even amen brother Hoskins. but we go to church to find out how to live to benefit our fellow man. Individuals are turned off on church, a lot of them rightly so, some of them not, but a lot of them rightly so because they do not see the same thing outside the church and the profession inside. And that's sad. And because of that, we can't influence anybody. There's no way in the world we can influence anybody when they can't see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's not to say that we can't remain a Christian. That's not to say that we're just going to go to hell. That's just simply saying that we can't influence anybody. Now, you don't have to look around very far to find churches that has no influence. Amen? We don't have the influence we ought to have. That's just talking about us. That's the we let them go. That's just talking about us. We don't have the influence in our community that we ought to have. Now we can't point that to certain with this individual, that individual. Uh, I don't know what goes on in your life. I don't know what type of an attitude you display, uh, but you do. Amen. You don't know what type of attitude, but I know that I display. But I know. And people are turned off on professing Christians. They want to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. They want to see a life that continually evolves upward. It's not going to happen all at once, saints, but it can happen. It can start. It can start. And they can see more of the life of Christ in your life yesterday today than they could yesterday and more tomorrow than they did today it ought to be an ever upward climb for the children of God as we learn what God wants out of us so that's followed by aim and purpose that which benefits our fellow man that would help our fellow man and it follows and it's closely associated with the command see that none render evil for evil now we might just say it this way let me break it down as we try to bring this portion of it to a close let's break it down like this and say it like this Christians always make the good of your fellow man your aim do not let unworthiness and carelessness on their part turn you aside from it and true to the statement, some people are not worthy of our attention to them and our prayers for them, but neither were we worthy of the death of Jesus Christ. 
The scriptures are not telling us they have to be worthy. It's telling us that in spite of that, our aim ought to be to impress our fellow man with our stability and our life. And their carelessness in their attitudes toward God should not keep us from the aim and purpose that is in our life and ought to be we should just allow for that and continue on trying to impress them with the gospel of Jesus Christ and by our life. Not too many people out here know anything about the gospel. All they see and know is the life you live. That's the gospel that they see, hear, and understand. And sometimes they get different views of gospel from the same person. Amen. Okay, we, yes, go ahead. We who name the name of Jesus can prove to the world that Jesus is everything the Bible says he is and more. Now, how are we going to do that? By living consecrated, dedicated lives, lives that's permeated by the love of God and overflowing with the love of God for unsaved humanity regardless of how distasteful they are to us. Can you imagine how distasteful you was to God when He came into your life and He looked into that sin and, and that, that all of that evil that was in there and, and humanity... And he looked upon that. Can you imagine how distasteful you must have been to him? But love overcame that distastefulness to God. He did not love what was in you, but he loved you. And he expects that same thing to emit from us. And we cannot go by whether an individual uh, is uh, like we think he ought to be. We cannot go by that. We just simply have to live our lives consecrated to Him, dedicated to Him, and a life that's permeated with the love of God and the greatest need in the average church and in the life of the average Christian today is not a better, better education from the secular viewpoint, but a thorough baptism of the power and of the love of God so that people could actually see Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not to say we're not going to make mistakes. We are. We're not going to please man, but inside him he will know without a shadow of a doubt in his life that you have Christ in you. He's going to know that. And we should pray that God will fill us. Not that we could dance and shout and speak in tongues and feel the glory of God and goosebumps all over our bodies, which is fine and good. But we should ask God to bless us and feel us in order that we can bless other lives and touch other lives. The anointing of God that we would be able to touch other lives wherever we walk, wherever we go. Our testimony ought to be one for the love of God. People measure you by your life lived, by your attitude under adverse circumstances, by your joy in the midst of heartache and disappointments, 
by your peace inside of you to make you recognize that in spite of everything that's going on in this world, there's a peace of God inside of you. The world has to see that. They have to see joy through you. And that joy comes through the tears in your eyes. They'll see inside of you a joy inside, even when tears are flowing from your eyes. In the midst of heartache and disappointment, they can still feel and know that there's a joy of Almighty God inside of you. That you're glad you know Him. And even though you don't understand Him and the particular uh, situation you're in, you're still loving God and people can feel inside of you a joy from knowing God. Just to know Him. Just to be have Him present in your life. And the power of God to live that life in order that we might be able to bless somebody else. Our prayer ought to be, in every service night, Lord, let me learn enough about my own body and my own life. Let me learn about my own ways that I might be able to change whatever needs to be changed so that I can bless other souls with the same blessing that I'm blessed with, with Almighty God. We need in this hour desperately, we need saints of God that move out from the house of God anointed and filled with love and power admonished and disciplined and loved and comforted and enduring to go out into a world and change the world it can be done 120 people turned the world upside down when they came out of the upper room filled with the power of God. Why did they come out? They were blessed inside. They had everything they needed inside. But they came out just to say, because the primary purpose was not for them to enjoy themselves, but for them to bless others and pass that experience on to somebody else. That's why we're Christians. That's why God calls us. That's why He anoints us. That's why He sets us in order in the body of Christ so we can function in such a manner that others can be blessed just by our lives. Individuals whose mates don't know that much about God. The only Bible most of them ever read you. Individuals here who have sons and daughters, aunts and uncles, they're outside the ark of Satan in the house of God, and the only Bible they'll ever be able to read is your life. And I ask you, who wrote your Bible? Did you pin it yourself? with your selfishness, your failures to find in Jesus what you need, or you, did you allow God to write the words in your life so that people could see you? Now, saints, I'm not trying to tell you that you'll never be without problems. I'm not trying to tell you that there won't be times when you'll have to fight to the bitter end. I'm not trying to tell you there won't be times when we'll simply utterly fail. But I am telling you it's possible. Paul told the Thessalonian church in the midst of all that they was going through that it was possible to do these things. Not only was it possible, but it was necessary to get these things in their life. 
And if you can read some of the happenings in church history of the church of Thessalonica, and how they endured, and how they established, and how they continued to win souls in the midst of everything else, you would see that these words are ever important to be ever adhered to in our lives. We can understand that. This is just a few. We still have a lot more that we go to. See that no man render evil for evil, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And we're going to go into the others, at least one or two of them next Wednesday night. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. How do I do that? Give thanks in everything. Everything that happened to you, thank God for it. Now, brother, hope You really don't expect me to do that. And then it says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is what God wants. Quench not the Spirit. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a heyday on that. I mean, we can have some fun on that. Despise not prophesying. That's a good one, too. Prove all things. The whole thing there which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I just wonder if we know the school. Maybe we will if you're listening when I get out of The way I'm going, it's going to be a while. Is that all right? I still got 25 or 30 pages. Again, what was a good now, we could get along faster if you was come ready to spend two hours. Well, I could talk for two hours. <laughs> but then hearing you hear not. <laughs> okay. All right. The mind can't comprehend any more than the seat can take. Endure. Praise the Lord. Come on now. Just leave your seats. You see, in everything that I've said, one simple frame of words could tell you what it means. When we become a body, but the local church, a full church, we need one another. And the closer to the end of time that we come, the more we need. And of course, we feel in a sense we do have one another, but I'm talking about really being sensitive, really knowing, really looking around, really, when you come into the house of God, don't come in with your mind all framed with outside worries and things of this world. Uh, take a few minutes and ask God, make me sensitive to somebody's need in the house of God tonight. Make me aware of somebody that's faint-hearted, Somebody's had a bad day. Somebody where the devil has pounced on them and they've been so depressed and discouraged and they battled and warred and they're still out here to have some God. Make me conscious of that. Lord. 
that you're confident in somebody that's helped the devil with that affliction, sickness. Father, let's pray. We thank you tonight for your ever-living words written a long time ago but still so very pertinent to us today. God, let us hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Father, the words that you pen directed at us, God, help us to understand that. Might we become lively stones placed together, Father, in a building where it has become a living organism. Master, I pray that every life tonight would understand what you're saying to us. Help our lives, Lord, to be more organized. Let us throw out old habits of no value to us. Gain some new ones for you. Help our mind, O oh God, to be ever centered upon you at all times. God, help us to be able to help govern our community, to govern our home, be subject, O oh God, to the government of God. Father, enhance us with your love. And God, your tender mercy that extended to us within your grace that you've asked us to extend to others. My Master, I pray that you would help us to be shining lights in the midst of a world that's filled with darkness. Somebody, someplace, need to but light a candle it would glow in the darkness God help us to realize that's what we are the light of the world and we honor you and give you praise in Jesus name